Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. I can't, get, can't wait to get back into telling you some stories right now, but I got to remember, before I do, you know, I talk to so many doctors, and I'm so prideful of spending my whole career at Cedars, 31 years. But you may ask me, who do I go to when I need a doctor? Certainly, I'm going to someone at Cedars because that's where the best doctors in, the, in L.A. and in the country are. But... It rained last weekend, if you remember, and I went surfing and I got some water in my ear and I wound up with some serious issues with my ear. I just want to give a shout out to my favorite ear, nose and throat doctor who took care of me. You want to know who my doctor is? Who does Dr. Clapper go to? And his name is Gary Bellack. B-E-L-L-A-C-K. Gary Bellack. A shout out to Gary. Thanks so much for taking care of the big kahuna weekend warrior. Me, Dr. Clapper. Love that guy. And if you ever need an ENT, Dr. Gary Bellock is the guy. All right, let's take a quick call before we do stories. Let's go to Joe in San Diego. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Good morning, Dr. Clapper. This is Joe from San Diego. Uh, with the member I had legs cat perky and I had the total hip arthroplasty back in February. Yes, yes. How are you doing, Joe? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm uh, about 10 months right now post-op from the hip, and I'm feeling great. I'm, uh, I'm really feeling my inch and a half taller than I am, and, uh, and I'm, walking <laughs> five to six, I'm walking five to six miles a day, uh, Dr. Clapper, and uh, pain-free, and it's just wonderful. I'm very proud of you, and you know what? You're taken care of in a world that we can actually fix people with your problem. It wasn't that long ago that we didn't have the technology. So being, being able to take advantage of it in the greatest country in the whole world where we have access to technology like this to give you your life back, it makes me so happy. I'm one of the surgeons that actually loves telling people how not to have surgery. That's why I write books about exercising in the pool, just like you heard Kojo. It makes me so happy when someone doesn't need surgery by being holistic, but by the same token, to be able to talk to someone like you, Joe, who did try everything and now is getting depressed and not being able to be as active, but to have a surgery totally change your life again is why I'm a surgeon and a busy surgeon because when it fails, the conservative treatment, to be able to not only do the procedure, but do it perfectly so that you get your life back gives me as much joy as being able to avoid the surgery. Thanks for checking in. I really appreciate it, Joe. God bless you. All right, Warriors, let's go to today's topic. That song, Layla, that you're going to hear throughout the show is celebrating its 50th anniversary. Yes, there are two gu guitar players playing at the same time, but they would not ever have met each other if it wasn't for the producer that Eric Clapton hired to make an album in Miami in 1970, Tom Dowd. 
but it was Tom Dowd who knew that Eric Clapton loved Dwayne Allman, who had a little bit part playing a guitar behind Wilson Pickett's song, Hey Jude. Leave it to Eric Clapton to be savvy enough to hear that guitar and that song that very few people even heard. Hey Jude is not something that you think about Wilson Pickett. You think about the Beatles. But Eric Clapton was blown away by hearing it. Tom Dowd knew that. So Tom Dowd hears that the Allman brothers are now going to be in Miami at the same time Eric Clapton and Derek and the Dominoes are going to make an album. And Tom Dowd says, you two guys should meet. Let's go to number one. I said, Eric, Dwayne Alban was on the phone. He and the brothers are playing here tomorrow, and he was hoping he could come by. And Eric looked at me. He said, you mean the chap who played on the back end of the Wilson Pickett Hey Jude record, and he plays me Dwayne's solo? And I said, yes. He said, he's playing here tomorrow? I said, he's doing an outdoor concert. He said, we have to go see him. We went down there and sat in the front, just behind us in what would normally be the security line. Dwayne opened his eyes during a solo, looked down, and stopped dead in his tracks. And from there on in, uh, it was like two big wide-eyed kids looking at each other. Mm, number two. There were very few words exchanged. It was just complete musical dialogue among them. They, they, they just look and say, hey, man, how do you And that, that, it just, the, the magic happened. These two great guitar players came to blues through two different ways. Eric Clapton is in England learning how to bend the strings of a Fender Stratocaster. Dwayne Allman is in Alabama learning how to slide the strings to create the blues sound. Two different techniques. Tom Dowd brings them together. Number three. We had both developed an early love for blues. And the interesting thing was that he was coming from a, di a slightly different direction. He had developed a very unique bottleneck slide style while I was bending strings. So we were coming from the same place, but traveling on different paths and, and could meet, and yet sound completely different to one another, even though we had the same principles going on in our heads. So Tom Dowd decides, I'm not going to have them play separately in this song. They're going to play simultaneously. This was never done before. This is why, to our ears, it's one of the greatest rock and roll songs ever. But now, 50 years later, listen to Tom Dowd teasing out the two separate guitar playing and then showing you how he brings them together. Number four. That I just want to look at Eric and Dwayne playing duet on the lead and Dwayne playing the harmonic parts uh, during the solo section. That's Dwayne that we hear on the left. And if I pull Dwayne down a little bit, now you're going to hear the duet. Dwayne and Eric playing the melody on the right. And here they are all together. 
And it's just beautiful. Those are notes that aren't on the instrument. Those are notes that are off the top of the instrument. They're playing notes that aren't even on the guitar because of their fingers, that genius ability that comes with time, that comes with talent of just touch. It's something special and you see it, whether you're an electrician, Vincent Laporcio, a plumber, a surgeon, a guitar player, you get that sixth sense, something that's not even on the guitar. Number five. That's, that's what makes those people such magnificent guitar players. It's in the tips of their fingers. It's not in a knob. It's not how loud they play. It's touch. It's touch. And both of them have exquisite technique and touch. Where do we, else do we see this in the world of art? Where someone came up with the brilliant idea of the strength of the duet. Sergio Mendes from Brazil. He's a band leader. He's not a composer, really. He likes to refer to himself as an interpreter of songs with his band. But it was Sergio Mendes who came up with the brilliant idea of having two female lead singers singing at the same time, just like Eric Clapton, Dwayne Ullman playing at the same time. Nobody had ever done this before. Let's listen to Sergio Mendez talking about how he approaches music, different than Carlos Jobim, the conduct, the, um, the man who creates the music, if you will, rather than the interpreter. Number six. He was a composer. I'm an composer. Yeah. I mean, I wrote a few songs, mm -hmm. but he was like a hundred percent songwriter, which is not my case. Mm -hmm. I wrote a few, so I always was an interpreter with my band. So I would play, like I told you, I would play Night in Tunisia. I would play uh, Stella by Starlight, and I would play Quiet Nights, Cocovado, Garota de Panema, or Masquinada, or so. As an interpreter, I've always liked melody. But it was wasn't until he came up with the idea of having these two lead singers singing at the same time. How did that come about? He's asked. Number nine. And I had a Brazilian singer, and a Brazilian guitar, and I, I said, you know, I've been using instrumentals and trombones and saxophone. And I love the human voice and the women's voice. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, it was just random because I said, man, that's, I'm going to do now vocals. Since I'm not a singer, I'm going to have, instead of having two trombones and a saxophone, I'm going to have two singers. So as I was working on that sound, I like very much the texture, and I still do that. Sergio Mendes was so successful that he could take a song that's in Portuguese. There's no English. It actually doesn't have any deep meaning. But when you use this idea of his, of two female lead singers as a duet, the sound is so pure and so beautiful. Mashkenada became a number one song all over the world. People singing along, not having a clue what the words mean, what the language means. Let's listen. Finally, number 10. That song, let's talk about Mashkenada. I was still working in the nightclub in Rio when I heard that song. 
and I played with quartets and quintets, and and it's it's a, such a magical song because here's a song that never had English lyrics. It would destroy the song if I had English lyrics <laughs> because there's something very special to chant, and people doesn't know don't people don't know what it means. Doesn't does not the song doesn't have deep meaning. It's not a poetical song, but. But it's the number one song all over the world because of his brilliant idea. What about in sports? This is one of the greatest stories of a dual threat, of the strength in the duet. And it comes from the dad of Serena and Venus Williams, Richard Williams, who realizes there's something special, something stronger when you do it twice. The story of these two girls, mostly their father, is astounding. Let's listen to number one, Richard Williams. You had such strong ambitions for your children. You write in your book that you had a, a plan to train your daughters, your two daughters, to be tennis stars, even before Venus and Serena <laughs> were, were born. <laughs> and, and where, where does that idea come from? Let me tell you something. <laughs> I remember one of the girls so bad until someone said to me, say, well, how you know you're not going to have a boy? Mm. I said, oh, no, that'll never happen. I'm having a girl. And I did have a girl, too. He's crazy, but crazy like a fox. What he pulled off is one of the greatest stories in sports history because he planned for two, not just one. Number two. So, yes, I planned their careers long before they were born. I started planning the year, Venus' career uh, of money-wise before I could pay her, her way through tennis. And I planned the education also. I planned everything. I wrote a 42-page plan, an 86-page plan. I could have been an 84-page plan, then a 107-page plan. But I, I wrote everything. Mm. Here's the best question. This is my favorite part of the interview. Richard Williams, you're from, you're from Louisiana, from the cotton fields. Why did you pick tennis for these girls that aren't even born yet that you're going to make into champions? Number three. And why tennis? At that time, I seen a girl, I didn't know her name then. Her name is Virginia Rizik now. And uh, she had won the tournament. I understood that she won $40,000 for four days. So, so, you know, if I had two kids, I'd become rich. So. Well, that was your motivation. You thought tennis because I, I can get rich off of uh, That was what my action motivation. <laughs> and you know what? He's just telling the truth. Maybe other people don't tell the truth. He's telling the truth. Number four. But as we went along and watched tennis, I realized that not only they had the wrong concept, I had the right education plan and everything else, but the wrong concept, trying to make it on someone else. And I started saying, I'm going to make it on my own. Well, I mean, it, it's so astonishing. I mean, uh, uh, you had no previous experience no. with tennis. Did you ever pick up a racket before? No, matter okay. where I come from, you couldn't pick a racket up. Okay. You set out to teach first yourself the game, yes. and then you start training Venus and Serena when they're old enough. And number six. So I decided that one day... I wasn't going to allow no one to teach them because I didn't know what they would teach, but I knew what I would teach. So I taught myself how to play tennis, where I could teach them. That wasn't the hardest part. That was easy. The hardest part was the establishment of tennis 
Because when I came through with tennis, I wanted them to hit with what is called an open stand. And tennis had never done open stands before. So they said, this guy's a nut. This guy's crazy. He needs to be in the Tennis Hall of Fame for being this crazy. Because as we all know, both of them changed the world of tennis. You talk about strength in duets. It's Richard Williams training his daughters. But before you criticize and judge him, listen to the power this father has and the belief he has that these girls will be something special. So much so that rather crack, rather than cracking under the pressure, they believe it. If your dad tells you you're the greatest tennis player, you believe it, guess what? You too can become the greatest tennis player. But it's not just because you pray for it, you work at it. I want you to listen to the early days of how Richard Williams spoke to his daughters. This is going back to 1992. And listen to Serena and Venus go, yes, daddy, yes, sir. Number 13. How do you feel when you're hitting the ball right now? Good, Daddy. Okay, how about your feet? Your feet moving well? No, Daddy. How about you? Yes, sir. Very good. So what we want to do, you know, don't get excited. This is your game. Richard was going around and begging private country clubs like Riviera Country Club and others to give him their used balls. And he would then fill up a shopping cart in an old Volkswagen bus. We didn't talk on the phone. We didn't go to school parties and all that stuff. But somehow I don't feel like I missed out. I mean, there's probably a few things I wanted to go to, but I figured I wasn't going to go, so I didn't ask. And anyway, most of the time I was at practice. Listen again to him as a dad coaching his daughters, number 14. Venus, absolutely. There was so much pressure on her to become a great player. You know, Richard was, was talking about it every single day to every, every newspaper in the country. You know, so she definitely, uh, she, had it, she had it the toughest. If you're down with your face flat like a 97-year-old person, you'll never be a tennis player. Richard was very, very protective. And he generally would never let anyone around the girls. He was extremely protective because he has seen so much. But listen to the toll in a good way and the influence it had on the little one, on Serena, having her big sister Venus breaking ground, being the trailblazer because of Richard Williams. Number 15. What do you feel inside when you're on the court? I feel good. I feel good. What didn't I do to try to copy Venus when I was younger? I mean, her favorite color was my favorite color. Her favorite animal was my favorite animal. She wanted to win Wimbledon. I went to Wimbledon. And number 16. It was very difficult being in the shadow of Venus because ever since I can remember, Venus was always in the newspapers and always, you know, in the press. I wish your feet keep moving like that. Don't move like that, there. That's really good, you know? I was never supposed to be good. I was never the one that was supposed to be like a great player. But I was determined not to become a statistic. So that's the only reason I play tennis. And, you know, I was a, a copycat, basically. Now listen to the proud father after the Wimbledon, after all the Grand Slams, being interviewed when he's asked what will their legacy be. This is the proud father who realized the power in the duet. Number 11. 
When we look back on this era of tennis and everything that Venus and Serena achieved, what do you think their legacy is going to be? Well, Venus changed tennis, period, altogether. Venus was not accepted as a, when she first came. Not at all. She changed the sport money-wise. Venus and Serena made things so different. They raised the bar. Venus and Serena may have changed tennis, but Richard Williams is the reason. Finally, number 12. In general, has there been an emotional toll for you in raising these champions? Sometimes uh, it brings tears to my eyes. So I couldn't live the way I live if it wasn't for them. But I always share with them. Serena oftentimes, like me, to know that uh, if it wasn't for me, she wouldn't be where she is. That's enough to make you cry. And I try to get them to believe that they are pushed themselves, not me. Too many parents are pushing their kids the wrong way. And that could have been me at one time. I want us all to appreciate it's Richard Williams who sees the power in the duet. It's Sergio Mendez who sees the power in the duet. And it's the producer, Tom Dowd, who sees the magic of these two guitar players, as he says, playing notes that are not even on the guitar by just touch. What exactly does that mean? We're gonna learn more certainly from a musical standpoint and certainly from analyzing Layla from the man who knows it better than anybody I know, the great Harvey Kubernick, who joins me next here on the Weekend Warriors Show on 710 ESPN. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Didn't you get the memo? Quickly hear Clapper's crazy kitchen stories. Easily find different callers' aches and pain issues. Right, I get it. Search Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila! Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Dr. Clapper, and I'm proud. I'm part of an original crowd. And if you look around these days, there seems to be a Dr. Clapper craze. Clapper, he's a clapper, she's a clapper, we're a clapper, clapper, I'm a clapper, he's a clapper, she's a clapper, if you drink Dr. Clapper, you're a pepper to be a clapper, drink Dr. Clapper, be a clapper, Hey, it's Mace. You know, there is no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. And don't miss Mason in Ireland back Monday at 1 on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Achtung, baby. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I love altacocaritis. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Three days a week, I'm in the operating room. I don't start my surgeries without listening to Eric Clapton. And very often, it's Layla. It does something special to the operating room, and everybody gets in line. There's magic in that song, and I want to learn all about the magic. And nobody knows it better than the great Harvey Kubernick. Harvey, thanks so much for getting up early to be with us. Always happy to do it. Thank you, Bob. So, I want to get right into it because 
my professor in surgery, Dr. Ranawat, always taught me, the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. Harvey, we need you because our ears don't hear what the mind doesn't know. The guitar playing, we'll get into Dwayne Allman and Eric Clapton and everything that you know, which is more than anybody else about these guys. But what I really love about you is how you can go even deeper in this story, deeper than anyone else. Tell us about Tom Dowd, the producer, the guy who came up with the idea of putting these two guys together. You know, for your listenership, I will always place Tom Dowd in this pantheon with um, Coach John Wooden, uh, the surfboard shapers like Hobie Alter and Dale Velzi and, and Tom Blake, <laughs> or, or even, you know, in your ear world of, uh, you know, Curlin Joe. He, he, he really helped. He, he, well, first of all, he really, um, he was a pioneer in bringing us from mono into stereo. He was a sound shaper. He was ground floor, you know, after Les Paul when it came to things like, you know, the A-Trek um, Ampex tape machine. Innovations. He was also the guy who, um, in the old days when you had two-track or three-track, used to see these pots and these big knobs on, on, on studio, uh, you know, on, on machines. You see them in movies and all that. He came up with the faders, the glide faders that you could go up and down because all of a sudden people got into four track and eight track and 12 track and you couldn't have 18 hands on the board. So he, but he comes out of, he worked on the Manhattan project. He went to Columbia. He never quite graduated because he, he went into the, to the service. He understood mm -hmm. sound and dynamics, very, very important. And again, he starts at Atlantic Records in the 50s. He's already on a track machine with uh, people like Ray Charles and all those R&B groups. In fact, he had, a, <clears throat> he had a history, even with Eric Clapton and Dwayne Allman, before most people realize. I mean, he, mm -hmm. he recorded Aretha's Respect. Uh, there's an album, Lady Soul, she did for Atlantic that Jerry Wexler produced that uh, Tom engineered at Atlantic. Um, Eric Clapton is on the Lady Soul album, and Dwayne Allman is on the Lady Soul album. They're not on the same exact tracks, but they meet there, let's, let's say, on vinyl. Uh, Eric Clapton had worked with Tom in Cream. Tom engineered sunshine of your love he even made the suggestion to the drummer ginger baker to put a little bit of indian drumming on that kind of stuff and you hear it on the drums on on, on sunshine of your love he was <laughs> he had worked with the almond brothers on their idle wild south album before layla so you see all this <laughs> history and sort of like john wooden always taught us life is a commission not a mission Often the team thing, which is the duality that you're talking about today, the pairings of people, Drysdale, Koufax, uh, Keyshawn Johnson at USC with the, the, the quarterback, Brad Otten. I mean, there, it takes two, and you've been, mm -hmm. stressing, you've been stressing that today. So look at the wealth of information and the history. and the, This isn't game management. This is Tom Dowd, 10 and 15 years older than everybody, placing the artists in a situation in Criteria Studios in Miami 
where the Jackie Gleason show had done some recording. James Brown did cut the song I Feel Good in that studio years before. So hmm. all these factors collide and, and bring us this data and information in the sonic uh, masterpiece. I'm talking to the great Harvey Kubernick, who's a, one of the great musicologists. We're blessed to have him in Los Angeles. I want to play a soundbite and, and for you to listen to us and tell us what exactly Tom Dowd is talking about. Let's, uh, Steve Paulette, play number five. That's, that's what makes those people such magnificent guitar players. It's in the tips of their fingers. It's not in a knob. It's not how loud they play. It's touch. It's touch. And both of them have exquisite technique and touch. They talk about, Eric Clapton says, I came to, to R&B because I could bend the strings. That's what I was interested in. And Dwayne Allman had a bottleneck slide for the strings. What, Harvey, is that all about? What, what are they saying? Translate that Listen, for us. We all know, and you do this in surgery, touch is very important. Uh, Walker Bueller's blister, you know, the fingers are very essential, <laughs> shall we say. Mm -hmm. um, Tom Dowd knew how to deliver results without bombastic dynamics. He, he would, the people didn't play ferocious and crazy in the studio because that room at Criteria, you could play soft. And he placed the guitarists, in this case, uh, Clapton and Dwayne Allman, uh, next to each other with a glass partition. But he also had other factors that kind of um, reinforced this guitar playing. Um, very important. I mean, on the song Layla, Clapton is playing six different guitar parts. Uh, he's doing a rhythm. He's doing uh, a harmony thing. Duane is doing a bottleneck, uh, you know, overdub. And, 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 and they're doing count. There's one track where they, have a, they do a counter melody together. More important is the drummer, Jim Gordon. He's in a, a carousel, kind of an isolation booth with a little bit where the doors are open. So you have a rock record where the drummer is sort of insulated, much like when you wear your mask during surgery. There's a little bit of that barrier. Mm. Um, the bass player, <clears throat> Carl Radel, again, there's overlooked people in the whole Derek Domino and the Domino thing. It's important to stress. It's a group. Eric Clapton has said, Cream wasn't a group. It, it wasn't a band. It was three virtuosos playing. It, Derek and the Dominoes was a group. There were co-written stuff. Uh, the, the Bobby Whitlock, the, the keyboardist and co-writer on the stuff, he's from Memphis. The bass player, Carl Radel, is from Oklahoma. Jim Gordon, the drummer, is from North Hollywood. Eric Clapton is from the United Kingdom. Tom Dowd's from New York. So you have this bioregional mixture of Okies and Southern people and guys that went to Grand High School in the San Leandro Valley, like Jim Gordon. You have this mix, and it's cut in, in Miami. And Tom Dowd knows precisely what to do because he's even familiar with the MCI um, recording console that he had done some modifications on that in the studio that was uh, first put together by Mac Emmerman. You mm. have all these elements that the people show up and play, but just as important, it's like John Wooden in recruiting. He used to always say, I got to see the transcripts first. 
<laughs> I mean, just think of it. Tom Dowd says to Eric Clapton, the Almond Brothers are playing a show right near us. And, and Eric knew who he was from playing with Wilson Pickett and, and, and mm-hmm. you know, on the weight track. And they, they kind of knew each other through various things. But it takes Tom Dowd to say they're in town. Dwayne wants to, us to come to the gig, and Dwayne wants to come to the studio. And then after the Almond Brothers finish their tour then, Dwayne comes back and does the recording with Layla. But the one thing about Layla that should be stressed, there were three songs done before Dwayne Almond showed up, including Bell Bottom Blues, where Eric plays everything. So he joined, shall we say, in maybe the third inning of the ball game, and that's not taking anything away from his work on it. But they were starting as a band, and then all of a sudden they, they, the two guys got to really meet and jam together, and Tom Dowd's key instruction for recording was keep the machines rolling. Mm. So you could catch everything and all the spontaneity and all the things like that. Do you think... In your opinion, there's any influencing going on when you have these two powerhouses in Eric Clapton and Dwayne Allman, or are they actually playing separately? They're playing separately. There's a mutual admiration society thing, and they're you know they're they're playing you know Gibson Les Paul stuff. Although I know that Eric Clapton was playing through a Fender Champ amp, but. Both of them had their minds blown by Jimi Hendrix in late 66 and 67 when Jimi's album came out. Jimi Hendrix changed everybody's approach to guitar, and especially things like Fender, the the actual guitar equipment. And all of a sudden, we could stretch out more, although Jimi went more into electronics and things like that. But all of a sudden, the guitar became... It you know they all they were sitting there as the world was going from like a track had just started the Beatles were using it halfway through the uh, the White Album in '68. Sonically, there was a lot of stuff going on, um, and Tom Dowd is sitting there like Pat Riley, or he'd been a player, you know, he'd coached, mm. been around, he been a broadcaster, he did all these things, but he also he's not intimidated or in awe of Clapton or Dwayne Allman, he'd already recorded John Coltrane. As far as bass players, he already mm. recorded Charles Mingus. He had done records with Ray Charles. I do know that Tom Dowd, and I met him a couple times and had a brief interview with him once. He told me when he finished the Layla album, he said, God damn it, I haven't felt so great about a record since the genius of Ray Charles LP. Wow. I mean, he knew he caught something, and this is before it ever really got on the radio. And, um, you know, and also the, there's a deep-rooted thing as far as the songwriting, and, and you addressed it in the first part of your um, your show today. Eric Clapton is very, um, shall we say, uh, strung out on a woman who's the, at the epicenter of most of these songs, including the blues cover songs that are put on. Mm-hmm. So you bring that element in of desire, eroticism, um, all that kind of stuff. And also there was, shall we say, a party atmosphere. Um, they <laughs> say, unlike the NBA and pro sports, there wasn't drug testing at rock and roll back then, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the Russians, the reason the East Germans and the Russians before the Iron Curtain came down 
The reason they could beat us, in addition to whatever drugs they were taking, was the Americans wore ankle weights, thinking if you made your legs stronger, you could run faster. Actually, your brain gets used to the heavy weight. You get stronger, but you don't get faster. The Russians, when the Iron Curtain came down, revealed to us that their trainers trained their sprinters to run downhill. Because you and I know that when you run down a hill, you almost start running in a hyper uh, velocity. You're almost running out of control. You know what it's like when you, you almost are going to fall down. You're running so fast. But if you train like that, your brain gets used to that hyper speed and you become a faster runner. It's the same thing here that you're able to actually play the guitar with notes that aren't even on the guitar. That's really what you, that's the lightning in the bottle that you're talking about. And God bless Tom Dowd for capturing it, for hearing it, for putting it together. And God bless you, Harvey Kubernick, for really opening our ears to hear this kind and, and, of stuff. And let me do say, Tom Dowd has always said there was almost a telepathic relationship between them when they both played guitar. Again, the duality that you stress, like almost a tag team player. Yeah. And to show you the relationship that Eric Clapton had with Tom Dowd, how these things continue, it, a few years later, after um, the Layla album, Eric Clapton reteams with Tom Dowd, and they record I Shot the Sheriff. Oh, my God. I, I mean, there's your, there's your tune decks right in front of you, Robert. What can I tell you? Well, Harvey, before I let you go, tell the listeners, because I'm sure they're just being blown away by what comes out of your mouth and the encyclopedic knowledge you have of the music business and really the behind the scenes. You're not just looking at someone's shoulder. Harvey Kubernick, you show us the MRI and the X-ray of someone's shoulder with the words that you can come up with, with the insight that you have. Tell us how we learn more about this 50th anniversary of Layla. Well, any new books you've written, any couple, new soundtracks coming out? Tell us how we can learn more. Actually, yesterday, the record label Universal Music Enterprises um, reissued uh, a new edition of the Derek and the Domino's Layla Sessions, a 50th anniversary product that shipped to retail uh, this week. So I'd encourage people to check that out. Um, I actually have a new book out through Other World Cottage Industries. Uh, it's a book called um, Docs That Rock, Music That Matters. It kind of examines um, uh, DVDs and movies and rock and music documentaries. Um, it's my 19th book. Wow. I've come a long way from Coliseum Street Elementary School, my friend. <laughs> By the way, are, when, is the shiva happening for the pantry, or will we finally get to nosh there again? I, I really want to know. Uh, we, we need a vaccine. Not a, from now on, you're going to order two eggs over easy with potatoes and toast and a vaccine. And, That's what you're going to have on and your And as you always say, a lot of butter. <laughs> but, uh, Harvey, thanks so much for joining us. You make the world a better place for us. In I always LA. appreciate it. Love the okay. show. Until next um, time. Keep thanks rocking. so much, Thank Harvey. That's the much. great Harvey Kubernick, really a jewel of Los Angeles when it comes to figuring out what's happening in music. He's the guy. And yeah, I've got a bunch of his books, and they're just fascinating. He takes you behind the curtain. All right, Warriors, the clinic will be open. The number is 877 ESPN, I also need to tell you, duality and strength in food, oh boy. 
And how can you stay warm at night when it's 40 degrees? I'll give you a clapper secret. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Holy emoji, clap man. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Holy slip disc. That's right, Robin. Hear listeners talk about their aches and pains. Holy hamstrings. Along with Doc's clapper vision. Breathe deeply. And advice to callers. On your toes, Robin. So like, follow, and enjoy. A wise decision. The Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Frankly, I can think of nothing more stimulating. What's the best medicine? Besides chicken soup, <laughs> vitamin C, <laughs> green tea, <laughs> prunes, uh, yeah. shot whiskey, <laughs> not around here. What's the best medicine? I cannot wait. We call it clafter. <laughs> get your pants off and get in there and I will tell you what I think. Doctors always want your pants off. Take your pants off. Doctor would like to see you with no pants. Just get them off. It's my head. I said take your pants off. But I hate the extra weight, so I start, maybe I'll start screwing around with some of his stuff, you know? Maybe I'll turn that thing up a little bit. Whatever the hell that does. Take all the tongue depressors out, lick them all, put them all back in. Clafter. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar Sinai. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Google the Guggenheim. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. It's getting near dark. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Eric Clapton, sunshine of your love. This whole show is all about the strength in a duet. I already told you about the Tiger Tail Donut at Good Time Donuts in Ventura. Make sure you ask for Sue and tell them Dr. Clapper sent you, where she weaves chocolate and a glazed donut together as a braid. Oh, my God, life-changing bite into a tiger-tailed donut. But the whole idea of mixing and strength in a duet in food, for me, it's the greatest chocolate chip and the greatest chocolate mint ice cream. I used to have this ice cream shipped to me with dry ice in a big box from Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, guess what? I no longer have to do that because you can buy this ice cream here in Los Angeles at Ralph's. The company is Grater's, G-R-A-E-T-E-R-S, Grater's Ice Cream. Their mint chocolate chip and their chocolate chocolate chip, trust me, let it melt a little bit and put a scoop of each in a cup. One plus one equals seven. It doesn't equal two. My mouth is watering already. Oh my God. That's a strength in a duet. Chocolate and mint chocolate chip. All right, I can get carried away here with the food. I love it. Let's open the clinic. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Let's go to Jose. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Good morning, Dr. Clapper. Pleasure. First time, long time. All right, Jose. Thanks so much. What, how young are you and what do you do for a living? 
I am a 41-year-old father of four, and uh, I apologize. I was actually the first one you called out today, but I had to hang up because my two-year-old woke up. And uh, Listen, Jose, you're never going to get any kind of negative points for me being a good dad. I'd hang up on me also <laughs> if the baby's crying. Hey, but you know what? I think I need to turn her into a tennis star after what I just heard, so thanks for the <laughs> Man, I'm, she's set. Can you imagine? And you know what? You're going to be that great father. I can tell already, Jose. That's what Richard Williams was. Don't ever be afraid to push that child. My mother used yes, to say sir. to me when I'd come home with a 95, Robbie, what happened to the other five points? I said, everybody else got a 65. I got a 95. What's the matter with you? She goes, how come you didn't get a 100? <laughs> Let me tell you something. You could argue that's pushing someone too much. But just like they say about pressure, it either breaks pipes or it makes a diamond. You're going to make those four kids of yours into diamonds, Jose. Be a Jewish mother. How can I help you? Thank What's you. up? Okay, well, um, my car, well, I work in construction, uh, so Good. I have my own issues. I'm 41. Um, I've done cement work for 15-plus years. But wow. the reason for my call is more for my son's elbow. I have a pitcher son, mm -hmm. and very proud of him and everything. But, of course, the name of the game is trying to avoid uh, down-the-line surgery, which is something I'm afraid of. Mm -hmm. Just because, you know, with the pitching, sometimes there's uh, pain involved with his arm. And I just see that whole Tommy John thing all over the place with these kids, you know, and I'm kind of wondering what's your take on all that. And I had the pleasure and the privilege of not only doing a fellowship with Dr. Job, who invented the Tommy John surgery, but I even wrote a paper with him, which actually at the time I was told Dr. Job's not going to be writing any papers with any of the fellows. And I'm going, well, that's not going to be the case. I'm not leaving this place unless I get my name published on a paper with Frank Job, and I actually did. And it, wow. the, the cover of that article is framed and it's hanging in my office, and it's one of the things I take the most pride in because being able to spend time with him figuring out how shoulders work, how elbows work, it does, it's like writing a song with Paul McCartney if you're a musician. It's unbelievable. So what Dr. Job did is, re is make us realize that when Sandy Koufax blew out his elbow, he's not going to let that happen again. And he ended up creating the Tommy John surgery, the ulnar collateral ligament in the elbow. A lot of fathers come and see me as patients where they say, can you, Kevin, tell Dr. Clapper your elbow hurts. No, dad, it feels better now. Tell him it hurts because little league dads are convinced that if you have Tommy John surgery, you're going to be stronger as a pitcher. No. no. What Dr. No. Job taught me is pitchers can feel like they're stronger, but it's not because of the surgery. It's because of the physical therapy and the way you are trained after the surgery actually makes the elbow stronger. So yeah. your child, your son is still growing. If he has elbow pain, it's because of the growth plate. You need to decrease the pitch count. And every coach, they're not interested. They're not really thinking about your son like you are as a father. He does not, it does not mean he's doomed to have a Tommy John surgery. But it would be great at the outset to learn the exercises, to make sure the manager and the coach of the team doesn't over-pitch your son with a pitch count. 
These are the things that are necessary to keep him out of the operating room, not having surgery because it makes you stronger. So you are on the right track, Jose, and I totally applaud you. Getting you to meet a physical therapist who can teach your son the exercises, that would be a great idea. And that's something for you to look into. At Cedars, we have a terrific pediatric orthopedic surgery staff, Carlos Uquilas, Natasha, um, Trent Acosta. These are two names. Look them up. These are two orthopedic surgeons that could steer you to the best physical therapist for your son to do at this point, not needing surgery to get to the therapy. You understand? Yes, sir. Definitely. He was born at Cedars, so, you know. All right. Well, there you go. Those are two names, Carlos Uquilas and uh, Natasha Trent Acosta. Get in touch with them. Get in touch with their physical therapist. That's the best way to help you. And God bless Cedar sinai for having these guys on staff. Thanks so much Thank for checking doctor. in, Jose. I'm going to take a break. We'll pay some bills. Coming back, I think we'll be talking about another elbow in an adult. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Get smart. Just what are you getting at? Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Like this. Medical advice from Cedar sinai head of orthopedic surgery. Are you kidding? With a far rockaway attitude and a little drizzle of mozzarella. Well, it's important to me. Search Weekend Warrior in the space bar. Like this. And click on Doc's picture. I see. Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Hey, Sedano, you know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. And don't miss Sedano and LZ back on Monday at 4 o'clock on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. You're not going to leave me alone, are you? Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. The Grand Poobah, the Big Kahuna. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. So much for joining me each and every week. Ross, hang on the line. I'm going to take your call. The lines are all lit up, and I apologize already because uh, it's only a two-hour show. But I promise you call next week at 7.30, and Steve Paulette will put you guys on. So uh, don't think of it as hanging up. We'll take your call, but we'll do it next week. And I really appreciate you guys calling in and listening so I get to do some clap revision, which you know I love. My guest next week is going to be Ben Aipa's son. Ben Aipa is one of the greatest shapers of the Hawaiian surfboard called a swallowtail, which I think was his invention. And we're going to get into it. The great Ben Aipa, one tough dude. He got into fistfights. He didn't let anybody push him around. He was a tough hombre, Ben Aipa. But you know what he did later in his life? When Bethany Hamilton had a shark bite her arm off and traumatically amputated her arm, her surfing career was over. Not for Ben Aipa. Ben Aipa told Bethany Hamilton's dad, bring her to me. I'm going to make her a board with a handle on it that she can grip with her other hand and she'll be able to surf. Bethany Hamilton is back in the water winning surfing tournaments because of Ben Aipa. The guy who is the toughest and the meanest in the lineup had a heart of gold has a heart of gold, and I can't wait to talk to his son next week about it. It's going to be a great show, as always. 
Let's go to Ross. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Uh, good morning, doctor, as always. So morning, I'm Ross. How young are you? What do you do for a living? I am 67 and I'm retired. What did you do? I was an electrical contractor. Nice. And where did you grow up? What high school? Uh, Long Beach Millican. And what did your dad do for a living? He was in sales. What, what drew you to be an electrical engineer? Um, well, actually, I, <laughs> I ran, I ran uh, sport boats you know, here in Southern California for probably 30-some 30, 30 years. And uh, one of the kids that worked for me for nine years, his family had the electrical business up in the Malibu area, and I told him, you know, if you're smart, get out of this business. It's changing. It's not changing for the better. Go to work for your dad. And quite a few layers, I, years later, I get a phone call. Now that the season's over, what do you got? What are your plans? And I haven't decided. And he goes, well, you want to come to work for us for a couple of weeks? And it became a whole new career. Oh, my. Is it? Like, that's a better story than a Hollywood script writer sitting down to come up with a script for a movie is your life, Ross, how that all came about. Isn't that unbelievable? That's fantastic. Oh my yeah, God. The best advice I ever gave myself, I gave to him. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> you took a chance, man. I'm so proud of you and now you're retired. All right, I got a few minutes left. How can I help you? Okay, the problem is in my left arm. Um, I'm gonna start out, I do have three small tears in the rotator cuff and a slight tear of the bicep at the rotator cuff. I was supposed to have surgery just as COVID hit and COVID really postponed a few things. But prior to that, I've been experiencing chronic pain, basically my left forearm from my elbow, two thirds of the way down to my thumb on the top of my forearm. Um, I'm always aware of the pain. When it's at its worst, I can't even pick a bath towel up off the floor. It is that painful. Yeah, Do you have numbness or tingling? No, I don't. Hmm. Fascinating. All right. You got a pencil? People don't have pencils anymore. I'm going to give you the name of someone who I think is the perfect person. And I'm always in your back pocket. You got me, in, you know, forever. But I, I'm going to want to, to, to talk to you and to the guy that I'm going to send you to. He's at Cedars. And he is, as we say in Yiddish, a maven. This is the guy that you need to see with your next visit. And then I will talk to him, and then you and I can talk. But this is, we're going to need to figure out, is this shoulder, is it elbow, is it neurologic? And there's nobody better to help you and me figure this out. He's been a guest on the show already. His name is Michael Stone. He's at Cedars. He's the best in the business for shoulder, elbow, exactly what ails you. Not only do I trust him to help figure it out, but he's also going to help you and me get you better. Michael Stone, you give him a call at Cedars. Uh, he may be busy. When you call, tell him you're Dr. Clapper's cousin. You're a weekend warrior and to move people out of the way and he will make time for you. <laughs> and then you will touch base with me. You're more than welcome. I'd love you to call here after you meet with him and we'll go over what the visit was like. Michael Stone. Capiche? Capiche. Now, Ross, Ross, you're a total stranger, never met you before. You know how you can thank me? Today you find a total stranger. Do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me.
I will do my best to do not just one, but two people for you today, doctor. Uh, all right, Ross, I really appreciate it. And you're gonna, you're on the road to the recovery as soon as this call is over. And I'm looking forward to getting you better. Thanks so much for tuning in. All right, Warriors, we did it. That's another Saturday morning. God, where does the time go? It goes so fast for me, and I'm sure it goes that fast for you. Next week, the son of Ben Aipa, the surfer from Hawaii, legendary, talking about his life, that inside that tough outer nature is the softest heart Hawaii could ever make. The story of Ben Aipa. Until then, I leave you with Volare. It means I'm singing and I'm flying. See you on the radio. Come.